and welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. What's making me happy this week? It is no big surprise. It is this. This episode is our 150th episode. What? I cannot even believe I just said those words. Joanne, did you think we'd ever make it to 150? Is this a huge surprise for you? It kind of is. It kind of is. I mean, it's been three years, so maybe it is a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I don't know what I expected. When we first started, the world had just shut down. Nobody had any idea what was going on. I was like, let's start a podcast. And we did. But I I definitely was not thinking three years or 150 episodes into the future. So, but it doesn't feel like it's been that many. I was looking back through our list and I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all these incredible authors I got to talk to. Yeah, it was amazing. I was looking through the list too and I'm thinking, oh yeah, that one, oh yeah, that one and all the books and uh, just, it's hard to imagine that there's been 149 before now, but uh, just so many amazing conversations. So I'm glad you didn't quit. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad I didn't quit either. Um, no, it's it's gone really well. Um, it has surpassed my expectations. And our subscriber count continues to grow. Our listenership has grown steadily over the years. Uh, and so I'm excited. I really hope that people are like still digging it and still feeling like we're providing a a nice, helpful, and upbeat hour to their week. That's that's kind of the goal. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's making me happy. Do you have anything special making you happy? Well, that is making me happy and sitting here with you and talking about it is making me pretty happy. And also the snow is gone. It's finally gone from my backyard. And I'm so incredibly happy about that. The birds are singing. It's definitely spring here. So that's That's making me very happy. Our crocus flowers came up here about a week ago, and they're so beautiful. So I also am kind of in the the mood for spring. But you live up in the great wild north, um, so you're <laughs> snow. We didn't get very much snow this year. We never do. I'm glad Got dribs and drabs. So yeah, it, um, yeah, it held on a long time. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that spring is finally coming your way. Uh, And what a perfect time to be celebrating 150 episodes. (laughs) So I do want to mention before we get started um, that in celebration, we are having a very special giveaway for April. Should we say what the giveaway is or should I save that? for later. Oh, let's tease. We can tease a little. Okay. The special giveaway is that Joanne and I are going to be giving away query critiques. And also, uh, Joanne has even offered to give away some critiques on first pages. I'm not going to tell you yet how to enter this giveaway. We are going to save that for later in the episode. Um, that's our sneaky way of of making sure everybody listens. <laughs> but this is going to be such a great episode. So I'm sure you don't want to miss it anyway. Um, what's going to be so great about this episode is that Joanne and I are going to be talking about some of our all-time favorite moments from the last 149 episodes. Uh, we're going to be talking about some quotes and things that we just found really inspiring from previous guests. And then I have also picked out some of my top 
tips and pieces of writing advice, things that I thought were so brilliant and so clever, and they have absolutely changed the way that I have approached my writing since I heard them and since I talked to these fantastic authors. So that is our plan today. I'm really excited to hear, Joanne, what moments have stood out to you? Because I I have a feeling that our lists are going to be very different. Our lists are always so different when we do these. What makes it fun, too. I'm excited to hear yours. Yeah. Do you want to get us started or should I launch in first? I don't mind starting with saying um, for listeners that it, it goes without saying that there's been some bonus episodes before now that are so chock full of great advice um, that when I was actually preparing for this episode, I didn't even listen to them because I think listeners should just go back and listen to them wholesale again. So the the bonus ones from before, so the one where we talked about writing more words, uh, episode 141, um, and that was our top productivity tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode 125, which was the query letter and agent search that you and I talked about. And then the two episodes, number 91 with Jill Grinberg, who is your agent, where you talked about your uh, query letter and working with an agent, and the number 41 with your editor, Liz, and she talked about um, the industry and working with you and and what that relationship is like. Um, So I didn't even mind those for for favorite (laughs) moments because the, the whole things are awesome. So I just wanted to mention that right up front so people can go and listen to those. Awesome. Some of our our, our one hit wonders. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I so, should, I mean, I guess I kind of like just assume that people know who you are at this point, since we have done some episodes together already. And I'm hoping people are following us on social media. And so they just know Joanne Levy, obviously. <laughs> but if they don't, do you want to give a quick intro? Who are you? Why are you here today? <laughs> who am I? I'm the behind the scenes scenes spreadsheet person. Um, I didn't prepare a bio, but I am. (laughs) I didn't prepare one for you either. (laughs) Maybe I should. (laughs) (laughs) We'll fumble through together. So Joanne Levy is the writer of several books uh, for a tween audience, um, including her award-winning, Sorry for Your Loss. See, this is what you should have read. It does sound different coming from you. (laughs) And um, I'm also the social media manager for the Happy Writer podcast, and I am your humble assistant. And And I was looking in my emails the other day, and we've been working together since 2016. Do you believe Oh my that? gosh, really? Is that seven years? Yeah. Well, every day with you is just better and better, Joanne. Oh, such a pleasure. Always, <laughs> always. And we have fun. So that's who I am. I am an assistant and an author um, and a Canadian. <laughs> in a nutshell. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, so Joanne is fantastic. And I'm I'm delighted to have you here. Uh, so I'm gonna start with um one. I didn't even I didn't pull a quote from this author because I it is one of my all-time favorite episodes. Um, and just talking to her was pure joy. Uh, I'm gonna go back to episode 78, where I got to talk to Margot Wood about her contemporary uh, love story, Fresh. And the thing that really stood out to me, both about the book and about about our conversation, was that Fresh and and Margot Wood's style used these really fascinating and unique 
narration techniques, uh, things that I have never seen in a fiction book before. There was a lot of breaking of the fourth wall. There was, she used footnotes to tell the story. She had like these quirky little choose your own adventure moments in the story. And I loved getting to talk to her about that. And the reason I'm starting off with this tip in particular is because it was a huge influence for me when I was writing the book that I just finished up, literally turned in two days ago, uh, which is called With a Little Luck. And it is also a contemporary. And I really struggled uh, for the first through the first draft of this book, trying to figure out the character's voice, the main protagonist. And when I remembered this conversation with Margot and just how much fun she had introducing some of these narration techniques, it kind of emboldened me to try some new things too. And I don't want to spoil what those new things are, but uh, it was a huge, huge influence for me. So that that was that's my first one, my first tip or or conversation that really made a difference in in my own writing. So cool. That's very cool. So I'm going to then go on to, and I did not assign numbers. So people are just going to have to go find the episode <laughs> in, in the Buzzsprout list. So talking about a craft thing, um, talking about the five senses. So from a recent episode, Daniel Nairi mm, yes. said, and, and I'm going to quote, this is like the classic thing of sometimes the basic exercises are what's required. And I think one of the most basic exercises for a scene that I'm often surprised will fill out my scene really well. It's just a straight up five sensory check. I want you to know what it feels like to walk in there, what it tastes like, what it smells like, what it sounds like, what it looks like. I'll just go through these senses sometimes and really try to perceive it. And also Nova McBee in her episode said this as well in a more sort of subtle way. And she said, and you literally have to smell the flowers on the street when you're walking by and smell the food and feel the sand in your fingers. And those things really gave me perspective on looking at every scene um, with the five senses and going through. And I actually do um, an, a whole editing pass for sensory stuff just to flesh out every scene to make sure that, I mean, you're not going to catalog all five sense, senses in every scene, but making sure it can be as fleshed out as it can be. So those are those were really great uh, hints about senses. Yeah, no, I love that. And I when Daniel said that, I went right back to uh, one of my my college writing classes and talking about the five senses. And I like have the specific memory about uh, an assignment where we had to describe a bedroom using all five senses. And it was so funny that he talked about that, which kind of feels a little bit like writing 101, but one of those things that you forget. Like it's it's you you forget all of these tips and tricks that you've you've learned and then you have to kind of relearn them sometimes. Um, so yeah, I loved Daniel and talking to him. I think that was, I mean, I it's hard to choose favorites because I've adored so many authors, but he was such a fun guest. He was really dynamic. He was, yeah. he was a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah. Um, another one for me comes from Emily J. Taylor. Uh, so we had her on. It was episode episode 108 talking about Hotel Magnifique. Uh, and hers was actually an answer to one of our bonus round questions, uh, which was, what is the best writing advice that you've ever received? 
So I don't know if we can give Emily full credit. She clearly heard it from someone else at one point. Uh, But she had this really unique take on dialogue, which was that when you write dialogue, never have your characters directly answer each other. Uh, So I'm quoting now, if someone asks a question, don't have your character answer them. Always, always have them say something totally disparate from what the other person just said. And I had never heard this before until she mentioned it. And it's not something that I've like adapted for every piece of dialogue I've written. But I have found that if I'm struggling with a piece of dialogue, if I go back to that and like intentionally have my characters avoiding answering direct questions, it adds immediate tension. It gives this impression that the characters are hiding something and it just kind of ramps everything up. And so I thought that was such a brilliant tip. So cool. And and when we think about actual dialogue, it's it's never like a tennis match of asking a question, answer here, there. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. And the way people talk and hmm, Mm -hmm. lots of opportunities. So here's one, this is from episode one. I know that with Jessica Brody um, on when the writing isn't working. And she says, you have to give yourself breaks when you're in those slumps. It's because you're just too close to the book or you're just in the wrong mindset to write at that moment. And that's when you have to step away, go do laundry, take a walk with the dog, or just do something that's so different and so freeing that when you come back to it, you're like, okay, now I have perspective. And I know I've given that advice a a lot of times, and it's so true that we just need to sort of step away and let let the brain work in the background and, and don't be so close to it. So that that really resonated with me. Yeah, no, it's a great piece of advice. I feel like that's great advice for a lot of things in life. Like if something's just not working, take a step back. I tell this to my kids if they're getting frustrated with something, stop for a second, put it down, step away. It'll seem a lot easier when you come back to it. And it definitely applies to writing. Uh, My next one comes from episode 80 with the superstar Victoria Aviard, Um, and she had a lot of great information and advice when it came to world building. She is, of course, a fantastic world builder, has made some really wonderful fantasy worlds. Um, And in this, we were talking about Realm Breaker, uh, her newest series. I guess it's not really new. This has been back in episode 80, so it was a while ago. But one of the things that really stood out to me was that she talked about when she's world building, she has what she referred to as a shortcut for developing the language and the names and the names of different places and locations where she would choose four letters out of the alphabet that they are going to use more of and then four letters that they don't have at all. And then therefore using that like little technique, it's just so mind blowing to me that it's so simple, uh, but it makes all of the languages and all of the the words sound like they go together. Like it's a very organic way of of how those, those things might've gotten their names. And I thought, cause languages and naming things and trying to create a fantasy language that doesn't exist is such a headache. And I thought that is brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually is one that I have here. Is it? Can, we have a crossover. <laughs> I can I can read the quote if you want. Sure. Um, 
so in Realm Breaker, this group of people with this language, these are the letters that you'll see mo in most of theirs. And these people with a different language, you won't see those letters at all. And it's all about making it that much easier for the audience to immerse themselves in the world and learn it as you're telling it to them. So by the end of the book, they see a name and they're like, oh, that person's probably from there without me having to tell them. Yeah, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. So clever. So clever. Yeah. So since we're talking about Victoria, I have another one oh. from her episode as Plotter versus Pantser, which I thought was very illuminating. And I actually really like this. Um, you can be too outlined and you can be too unoutlined. There's the whole plotter versus pantser situation. And the other way I've heard it explained is architects and gardeners. And I think it was George R. R. Martin who used that. And I actually fact-checked and she was right. Mm -hmm. uh, where the architects have their plan and they build the house to the schematic and the gardeners plant the seed in the ground and let it grow. And then she goes on to say, I like to say that I'm a gardener who plants tomatoes so I have my sticks and they will follow a certain path, but there will be little pearls and dips in certain places that might surprise me. But for the most part, I know where it starts and where it ends. Does it get better than that? You can tell yeah. she's a, a screenwriter, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> she's so brilliant. You, you reading that actually gave me chills. <laughs> like it's such a great, great metaphor for what we do. I love it. Isn't it? I have another one. Since we're talking metaphors um, that I just <laughs> found this afternoon. Oh, I thought this one was great too. So this is from Allie Carter. I don't remember which episode, but it was, I think it was fairly early on. And she talks about books as a clothesline. She says, I like to think that plot is like a clothesline and the character moments are like the clothes hanging on the line. So plot really just stretches from the beginning to the end. And it's the stuff that you hang on it. That's what readers actually latch onto. Oh, how interesting. How cool is that? Yeah. I love that. I adore Allie. I haven't seen her in a long time. I miss her. <laughs> I will say, since we're talking about Allie, I like to refer young writers to her book, Dear Allie, How Do I Write a Book? Because it's such yes. great, great, great advice for young writers. Absolutely. So there's a plug for that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to touch on another just huge, huge superstar in the YA realm, uh, Lee Bardugo, episode 60. And you and I talked briefly before we started recording that really, like, just go listen to the whole episode because it is packed full of just these wonderful little nuggets. And every time I listen to her speak, it just makes me want to run to my computer and start writing. She's such an inspiration. Uh, the one that really stuck with me out of all of her, her fantastic pieces of advice uh, was when she was talking about character development and particularly developing a character's voice. And um, you know what? I'm just going to do I ha how much of this quote do I have? Uh, so it's, it's a little long. I might cut it out. I'll cut it short here. But so she says, some characters arrive speaking loud and clear and others take a little while to get there. There's usually a sort of moment or one bit of dialogue that suddenly locks that character in for me. Uh, and then she goes on to talk about Nina in Six of Crows and how when she first meets Kaz, she's like eating a cake and she gets crumbs in her cleavage. 
And he's like, you have crumbs on your cleavage. And she's like, yeah, I don't care, whatever. And for Lee, she says, I thought this is how this woman moves through the world with a tremendous sense of pleasure and confidence. And that just locked it in for me. What I love about this this moment and this bit of advice from Lee is that now when I'm writing, because I'm similar to her where it takes me often a draft or two to really get a hold of the character's voice. But now I'm looking, I'm looking for those little um, uh, linchpin or what touchstone, she calls them a touchstone piece of dialogue that just like reverberates with you. And it's like, that is it. That is the character in a nutshell. And then when I start to lose that, I come back to, okay, what was that piece of dialogue that just felt so right? And I'm constantly coming back to it and using that then to kind of expand on their voice. That's amazing. And and I was listening to that episode um, today when I was walking to the post office and I heard that exact moment and I was like, oh, that's so perfect. Mm-hmm. And it, it's totally true how you can encapsulate a character in a voicey piece of dialogue like that or just even one tiny moment. And, and that's the whole character. And it, it just clicks into place. Um, yeah. yeah. So cool. And I love that episode so much. I think I have four quotes that I pulled from that. So I will I will spare you all four, but there was a couple that I, I just, I really love them. And she talked about sort of getting in over your head. So here's one. Um, so at one point, I think you, I think you asked her um, what advice you would give to somebody if they said they, they started writing something and all of a sudden felt like they were in over their head. Mm, yeah, um, I remember that conversation. Yeah. And she says, I think as writers, we're always setting a new challenge for ourselves. And yes, there were many moments in the writing of Six of Crows when I thought someone smarter than me should write this book. Uh, I don't know how to and because I've never done it before. So it was an incredible challenge. And I frequently felt like I was failing Um, on feeling discouraged. When you have those moments, when you feel discouraged, when you feel like you've bitten off more than you can chew know that you're on the right path, that you're trying to do something bigger and better than you've done before. And those moments of struggle and how you face them are what are going to separate the amateur from the professional and the published author from the unpublished author and the finished manuscript from the unfinished manuscript. You have to learn to sit with that discomfort and the understanding that it will not be right for a long time. And all you can do is write a scene, the beginning of a scene, write a sentence, bit by bit, and trust the process to get where you need to be in that first draft. How much do you love her? Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. That whole episode. Yeah, Yeah. the whole episode. I know, I know. She's she's definitely one that just stood out. And she's, there's a reason she's just killing it in everything she does. All right, I'm going to continue with character. Uh, Another uh, conversation that really has continued to play in my mind was episode 82 with Sarah Raleigh, author of The Bones of Ruin, uh, which, side note, was one of my favorite books that I have read for the podcast. Um, I absolutely loved this book. I thought it was genius. And she had just fantastic characters in the book. And so I asked her, like, what's, how do you do it? What's your your process? And first of all, she's also an anime and manga fan. So I'm biased toward her. Um, but she talked about how being a fan of anime and manga, 
inspired her character creations because so often in these formats, you have a really short period of time to show who your reader or your viewer is. Who is this character? Um, You have to just get across right away who this character is. And so she talked about figuring out the archetype and kind of the, the overarching personality. And from the moment that you introduce that character, like you have to show the reader who they are um, using that archetype or using something that will convey to the reader, this is who this character is. And after that, you, of course, will have lots of time to, she describes peeling back the layers of the onion to dig deeper into their characterization, you know, make them more three-dimensional. But to start with that, you know, big personality moment or that big archetype and then go from there. Um, And I love this conversation because, again, this was another thing, kind of like the five senses that like, I feel like I used to know. I used to think a lot about archetypes and like figuring out those umbrella personalities. And that was something that I would kind of start with. And then over time, I lost that along the way. Um, And so since I talked to Sarah, I've started implementing it again. And it is, it just makes character creation, not necessarily easier, but it puts you on a path so much quicker, I think. Um, And so yeah, that was one that's, that's definitely kind of played in my head as well. Yeah. And, and I think the more we get into the writing and it, and it feels like a muscle that we're used to using, we sort of forget some of the basics mm-hmm. and the, the things that we used to use as tips and tricks to, to sort of get us to a level where we felt comfortable with the writing. So it's nice to be able to revisit those things and be, be reminded, oh yeah, I wasn't being totally conscious of what I was doing with that character in that scene and and just really go back to basics. Yeah. That's great. And she is Canadian. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, (laughs) I'm doing an event with Sarah, actually. I'll just throw out, do I have it? I don't have my calendar in front of me, of course. Uh, But I'm going to be doing one of her online launch events coming up, um, which I'm really looking forward to. And I just received the new book in the mail today. So I'm excited to read it. Anyway, if people want to hear me and Sarah Raleigh talking about anime and archetypes and nerding out, you can find the details on my Instagram page. <laughs> That'll be really fun. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, she might live in my hometown. Really? If I'm not mistaken. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. I think she does. It, at least I know she's done events there. So I'm going to have to look that up. Anyway, hmm. um, and while we're talking about um Canadians I think mm-hmm. Tanaz is Canadian Tanaz Batna from episode unknown um <laughs> and her mind-blowing moment so this is my very very top thing that I've taken across all the episodes that really was one of those like mind-blowing moments was when she said the villain is always the hero of their own story and that gave me absolute amazing perspective on fleshing out the villain and other characters besides my main character. Um, And she goes on to say, and I'm going to read this because I think it's great for them. It's the protagonist who's the villain and they're doing all these messy things who are interfering with their motives. So for me, I always know going in that if there's a villain, they have to be three-dimensional. They have to believe 
that whatever's happening in the world is wrong and they are the one who's right. Mm -hmm. And that just gave me so much amazing perspective on villains and secondary characters um, and how to look at them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Another one that I actually just remembered when we were sitting here talking about it. So it was not on my, my original list that I prepared for today. Um, but I have to mention Jennifer Lynn Barnes, uh, and here I don't have, I don't have the episode written down. Um, but the way she has built, um, the inheritance games using the psychology of fandom, I am just blown away by this. And, you know, I'm like a brain science nerd. I am just fascinated by creativity, fascinated by all of this. Um, and so just listening to her talk, I'm just like, tell me everything you know. Um, so this is another episode that I just think the whole thing was just full of great tidbits. Um, but I definitely have found myself thinking more about this idea of like, can a fandom be built around what I'm working on right now? And I will admit that sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes I'm like, well, this is a story that I love. And if it doesn't build a fandom, that's fine. Uh, But for some books that I feel like it has potential to be bigger, to find that more big commercial audience, I am thinking about some of the things that she mentioned, um, uh, having a group that the reader can feel like they are joining, that they're becoming a part of. And is what is special about this group? Do they have a cool you know, location that they hang out in? Or do they have a, a tattoo or a piece of clothing that distinguishes them? Uh, she talked about a birthday party test. Could you throw a birthday party inspired by this story? Could you have a theme park inspired by this story? What would the rides be like? What would the food be that you would serve? You know, and just, it was such a completely unique way to think about developing books and asking yourself certain questions about what you want to include in this story that, uh, again, I just, I just thought it was so interesting. And so that's one that's also, uh, definitely played a part into how I've been going about creating my story since we talked. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a conscious way at looking at details. And I will admit that sometimes when I'm writing, I think of what swag would go well with yeah, my books. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and sometimes I write stuff in that, you know, it's organic, of course. I only want things that are organic that I think, oh, if I was doing a launch party, I could, that would be a great giveaway or stuff like that. So that's not quite as next level as what she's talking about, but definitely a conscious way of looking at at some details in there. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a yeah. really cool episode too. Have yeah. you read... Um, What's it called? The Science of Story by Lisa Cron. I have not. It's on my, it's actually on my couch downstairs. And that's my next craft book that I'm going to dig into because I'm also a brain science nerd. And that is all about um, brain science yeah, so, and writing. So I love it. I, just the title of it, The Science of Story. I am. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. So my next one. I'm looking at my fun list. Oh, here's one that I thought was exceptionally fun and mostly for personal reasons. And you'll know why when I read it um, from Tears of Price. Uh, I'm very much a plotter and I like structure. So before I even really got into 
writing the details and the plot, and this is for her murder mystery, I spent a lot of time trying to get my mind around the mystery and seeing how it would actually work. And then I plotted everything out in an Excel spreadsheet. That just warmed my heart. (laughs) I love that. I, for some reason, thought that it was Maureen Johnson um, who had talked about the Excel. And I went back and went through Maureen Johnson's transcript trying to find where does she talk about plotting out a murder mystery using the Excel file? And of course, it wasn't there because it was Tirza. I am so glad you brought this one. Wrong <laughs> murder mystery. Mystery solved. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was just so cool. I've I've never actually thought of using an Excel spreadsheet to plot a book, um, which seems very weird because it's very anti you. I know. No, I know, but <laughs> but you I don't think I could write a murder mystery. No, I don't think I could. I think I would be absolutely lost on the details. I I suffer from not being able to follow complex plots. Um, even in movies, I often turn to my husband and say, who is that and what happens? Where, what's going on? So I tend to be a little more linear and I just don't think I could pull off a murder mystery. Not at this stage, maybe someday. Maybe someday. Maybe with an Excel spreadsheet, you could handle it. Undoubtedly. <laughs> I'm so glad you found that one. That makes me really happy. Okay. I know is okay. Is Isaac also from Canada? Isaac Bloom? No. No. Okay. Uh so my next is uh one more. This is my last character. I guess I really love it when people talk about character building. Um, I think that, that just resonates with me for some reason. Um, another wonderful perspective on character building that was really influential to me. Again, writing with a little luck that I just turned in. Uh, was talking to Isaac Bloom, episode 127, his fantastic book with the, was The Life and Crimes of Hoodie Rosen. And I I mean, this was very like a self-serving question that I asked him specifically. How do you write from a teen male perspective? Because I'm trying to do it right now and I don't think I'm succeeding. And he had just this wonderful answer um, a little bit like men are from Mars, women are from Venus-esque. Um, and he talks about how uh, boys are poor at interpreting nearly any social signal, like reading other people, I'm quoting here, especially people of the opposite sex. It's probably really tough for him. He's not particularly in touch with his own feelings or certainly not comfortable expressing it outright. And then he goes on to talk specifically about male friendships and how they... Uh, never compliment each other. They love each other deeply. We love each other deeply, but we have been conditioned not to be emotionally vulnerable and therefore incapable of of expressing it to each other. And I don't know, it was just like really helpful for me. And obviously we're generalizing here. Are there teenage boys who are like really super in touch with their feelings? Of course. Um, But for me, this was a really helpful perspective to just be able to write a teen character who I hope, and the book's not out yet, so we'll see how well I did, but uh, I hope that he reads as a a true, authentic teenage boy. And a lot of it, I feel like I owe to Isaac. And this is very candid answer. That's very cool. I like that. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with somebody once, and this is completely off topic uh well not off topic but outside of the podcast but and we talked about romance novels and what we like about men 
that the men that are written in romance novels. And we came to the conclusion that the men that we like in romance novels, we like them because they're written by women. Mm. So they're sort of not necessarily realistic and they're a little more in touch with their feelings in the end. And it, and it's sort of the, the archetype of what we may want in a man, but when somebody authentically writes a man, it's, it can be frustrating in a romance novel because they don't fit those molds. Yeah. So that was an interesting discussion and, and different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. No. And it was, I mean, I will say writing this book from Jude's perspective very much felt like trying to walk this tightrope where on one hand you're trying, or me, me, I'm writing it. I'm trying to create a character that sounds very authentic that sounds like, yeah, this could be a real teen guy going to, you know, your high school down the street. And yet also recognizing that I'm writing a YA contemporary romance and the vast majority of my readers are going to be female. And, you know, you want to, to satisfy what they're looking for in this character. And so it really is kind of a balancing act. And again, the book's not out. So how did I do? I don't know. But I know I was completely charmed by Jude by the time that I was finished writing it. So I really (laughs) hope that people will be too. Well, that's a good sign. I mean, if you're charmed by him, then probably you did a good job. I'm I'm not worried. (laughs) So was that, is that my turn now? I think so. And I'm, I'm done with craft. The rest of mine are all like more life-ish things. Yeah, and and mine too. Other than I have two, two that I um, that are sort of editor ish. Okay. So when I said I didn't even look at Liz's episode, I lied because here I have a a quote from hers about voice and how she, when she's looking at acquisitions, she says, "I look first and foremost in fiction for voice. If I can hear that narrative voice, whether it's third person, first per, or first person." I'm going to keep reading. If I feel a distance, I'm going to keep reading and hope that it comes a little closer. But if the voice starts out great and I feel like the author knows who they are writing about and whose point of view they're writing from, then that's where my 80-20 rule kind of comes into play. If 80% of the book isn't working, but 20% is, and the 20% that's working has great voice, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and try to work on it with the author. So voice is always number one for me. And I think I would sort of add the caveat that that is very generous. I don't know that all editors would really go down that road because that can be a lot of work. But I think that illustrates just how important voice is. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of great stories out there and a lot of plots that people can write. But if the voice isn't there, I, I don't know that you can even teach that other than help somebody develop their voice. But it's it's one of those things that I don't know that you can edit for voice very much. No, it is. And voice, you know, obviously it comes up and some of our, our tips today have related to voice. And it is one of those weird, very, very vague pieces of writing craft that is so hard to, to teach. It's so hard to figure out. Why does one piece have great voice and why does another suffer for it? You know, uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Um, but I think a lot of it comes back to whether we're talking about like the touchstone piece of dialogue with the characters uh, from Lee Bardugo. 
it kind of, there's a similar sort of vibe with discovering your voice as a narrator. Uh, Once you land on it, once you hear that voice, whether it's one line of dialogue or one line of narration or whatever it is, you can kind of keep coming back to it, but it, it absolutely takes work. It doesn't happen just automatically. No. And I think that's one of the things where practice and just putting in the work of writing is the thing that you hone best. I mean, anybody can string together a sentence um, from day one. It's that voice that you really need to hone and work on over years before you can, because it's so intangible. You know it when you see it, Yeah, (laughs) uh, you know it when it's not working, but how do you teach somebody voice? It's, it's hard. Yeah, Yeah. So hard and reading reading, read, 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 read. Um, I think that's one of the number one ways. Uh, and like pay attention too, because of course there's going to be books where the narration voice really speaks to you and you love it. And then there's going to be books that you read and you feel completely disconnected. And if you can start to notice that and, and kind of develop your ear for it, then that'll, uh, influence your writing as well. Yeah. And, and that's where I think also finding critique partners is Mm -hmm. such a great thing because you can read somebody else's work and it's so much easier to see what is and isn't working because you're not, it's not in your lap. Um, And I think that critiquing other people's work is an absolutely invaluable way to learn craft. Um, And you're doing somebody good turn and hopefully they're doing it for you. Um, I still do critiquing for people and I enjoy doing it just because I learn more about my writing and my voice and what's working and not. So for all you aspiring authors out there, go get yourself a critique group if you can. Absolutely. Yep. And um, one more editing thing also from Lee Bardugo. Um, (laughs) This is just a quick one. She says, in my experience, and this is talking about editors, Um, In my experience, you want an editor who is invested enough to give you real notes and real feedback and to push you and challenge you because that's the way the story gets better. And the worst possible thing you can have is an editor who gives it a cursory read and says, looks good, let's go. Mm -hmm. And that's that's so true. And I find that people don't necessarily want to hear um, that their work needs a lot of editing, but in the end, it's you want to be proud of it. You want to make it better. And I don't think any writer on the planet writes perfect stuff by themselves ever. Yeah. No. And also, like, it's never fun receiving your editor letter with the long list of things that aren't right yet or, or hearing back from your critique partners. You know, it's it's there's always that moment of like, oh, God, I'm not done yet. But I always go back to I'd rather be hearing it now than hearing it from a reader or a book reviewer. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a lot less painful before it's published. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, And that that sort of leads me, and the rest of my things here are writing life, but it, it's a great segue into something Daniel Neary said about um, the writing life. And he said, your talent can outpace your wisdom. If you take just a half a step back, slow down and think about the 30-year delta, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. Just take a breath and publish the thing that you're going to be forever proud of. And this this was one of those moments that I just, I stopped and I listened to it again Mm -hmm. um, because it resonated with me so much. And 
you know, I mean, if anybody listens to my episode of The Happy Writer, you know that I've had a lot of struggle on the way to being published. And I am so thankful now looking back that honestly, self-publishing was not an option for me because back then it just wasn't a thing. I would have self-published a whole bunch of books and I would have been not so proud of them down the road because I would have pushed them out quickly because I was I got so focused on getting published, getting published, getting published and being turned down as much as I did. And if it had, if there had been an easier road, I would have taken it and yeah, I would have been yeah. really sorry. And and that's not to throw shade on self-publishing and that's not to throw shade on anybody who's gone down that road. Um, but for me, I would have put books out that I would not have been proud of. Um, so that quote from him just I wish I'd heard it way back when, and and it maybe would have made me feel a bit better about the long journey that it was. Um, but he's so right. He's yeah. so right. I mean, you don't want to put something out that you're not going to be 100% proud of down the road because stuff is out there forever. No, absolutely. And you could tell that he was really speaking from experience there. Um, and I think that it is the sort of thing where, it is not uncommon for writers to, you know, not love the first books that they got published. Um, and it hasn't really come up so much in our in conversations that I've had with authors. But I think that's largely because when it does happen, you start writing under a different name or you just kind of try to bury those. Um, and I have had guests where they're like, please don't mention this book in my bio, like they're, they're just not happy that they've have it out there. Yeah. It's, it's a tough thing when you're trying to get published, trying to fulfill this dream, of course, but I thought it was fantastic advice. I, I thought that really resonated too. That your talent can outpace your wisdom. It was just like a, a showstopper moment. Yeah. Like an absolute mic drop. So thank you, Daniel, for that. Thank you. <laughs> my next piece of writing life advice from the fabulous Jennifer Nielsen. Mm. She is one of my favorite people on the planet. And she wrote on reviews, she says, in terms of reviews, don't read the good ones and don't read the bad ones because neither are going to help you. Yeah, The bad reviews will kill your desire to write. And the good reviews are like crack. They feel good the first time, but then if you haven't had a good review in a while, it'll start to feel like you need another hit of a good review. And so you start chasing good reviews and that's not helpful. So take constructive criticism from people who want to help you write better, but for published and unpublished writers, uh, write because you love it and don't worry about reviewers. And I will say that I am terrible at not reading reviews. <laughs> I still read reviews, but she's so, so right about that. And, and especially about the good reviews. And you do go chasing them. You do go looking for the, the little snippets of goodness. And it does become validating, mm -hmm. but you shouldn't need that validation to go forward. I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to say that. And who doesn't love a good review? But yeah, they're almost more damaging than the bad ones because you do get addicted to them for sure. Yeah, no, it is spot on. I don't read good or bad anymore. Um, I think I did briefly when Cinder came out and then very quickly learned like this is a terrible idea. Because <laughs> um, I remember even if you have a review that's 98% good, 
you're going to remember that one line where they talk about that one thing that they didn't like. And that's all you're going to remember from it. And it's like, this is, this is not hell. This is not making me a better writer. This is certainly not bringing me joy. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's a, it's a fantastic piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's so smart about writing and books in the industry. Um, so smart that I actually have a second thing from her. Um, and I absolutely love this. Uh, she says, when a book is released, it's only half finished. And the other half is when somebody picks up the book and then they bring it to their life. His- they bring to it their life history, their interests, their needs and their passions. And then the reader completes the book. And so as long as I've done my job to write the best book I can, the reader will pull from it everything they need. And that's their job. And so I've done mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm getting chills just reading that. And, you know, it so resonates that, you know, you just do half the work and everybody comes to to your book with something different. And so now when when inevitably I get asked in interviews, what do you hope somebody gets from your book? And I, I'm sure you get asked that all the time. And and I parrot Jennifer's answer. And I say my smart friend Jennifer Nielsen says, I hope whoever reads it gets what they need from it because I can't tell them what to take from it. And and I wouldn't want to, but if they need something specific from that book and, and if we're talking about kids books, of course they're coming to it, wanting to get something, I hope they get that. Yeah. Um, And so that was just such a a smart thing and and such a light bulb moment for me. Yeah, absolutely. And getting toward the end of my list here. um, But another one that really stood out to me was Case and Calendar. We were talking about their Larkin Kasim start a revolution back in episode 130. And Kaysen talked about this idea of when you're trying to, whether you're trying to choose which story idea to work on next, or if you're working on something, but you're trying to make a decision about maybe what direction to take the story they mentioned sitting with your feelings and really learning how to tap into this kind of intuitive emotional response that we have but it can be very very deep especially if you're in the habit of listening to things like the market what are editors looking for what are agents wanting what are my readers demanding i do next and you've got a lot of outside voices trying to steer you one way or the other but if you can just sit with an idea for a little while and really pay attention to the emotional response you have is this an idea that I secretly have a little bit of quiet dread about writing, or is this an idea that fills me with excitement and curiosity? And I thought this was such a fantastic piece of advice. Of course, we talk all the time about following your heart, writing what you want to write, write what you think is fun. Don't write to the market. Like that comes up over and over. But I thought this was a really practical way to actually do that. How do you actually figure out the story that you want to be writing next. And for me, taking the time to just sit with it and pay attention to the emotions that rise up, huge game changer. Yeah. And I listened to a good chunk of that episode, I think just last week, because I was doing a pull quote for the the Throwback Thursday social media post I do. And and I listened to part of that and part with finding joy in what you're writing. And if, mm-hmm. and if you're not finding joy, 
you know, I'm not doing it. Um, and, and being, you know, the word you mentioned before about touchstone, that really feels like a touchstone with why, why else are you writing if you're not finding joy and, and sitting with it and, and feeling so plugged into what you're writing and emotionally invested? Because it's that honesty that makes for good writing. Yeah. Right. And making good stories. Yeah, no, that's really great. I think I just have one more. Let me look at my list. Yeah, one more. And I call this my full circle moment, one of my favorite full circle moments when Roseanne Brown, um, when you asked her when she first thought about being a writer and just completely unsolicited, she said back in high school when The False Prince by Jennifer Nielsen came out. <laughs> and she goes on to say that book and, and her energy in this episode. I mean, it's so awesome. She says that book, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. It's staring at me. And I just remember in my mind being blown apart with the twist and the turns and the unreliable narrator and everything happening just feeling like you can do this book. I'm like, I want to do this book. And I, I mean, this is my world's coming together because as I said, I love, I love Jen more than many people on this planet. I had that same moment when I read the false prince. I remember <laughs> I was sitting in a mall in the food court um, on lunch break from my day job back when I had one of those. And I started and the first page grabbed me by the throat. And I'm like, this, I already know this is going to be the best book ever. And I think it was my favorite book of 2012. And I have to say that my debut came out in 2012. Oh, and so, so did, did mine. <laughs> so, I mean, what does that say? That was I my love favorite that. book. I love that. You know, so, so when Roseanne said that in her episode, and it just felt like a full circle, circle moment for me. And I'm like, yeah, Jen, the false print is such a great book. So that was just kind of a personal heartwarming moment for me. No, that's great. Definitely a, a podcast highlight. Um I've got two. They're 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 not really tips so much, but they're there's some of my well I'll just Okay, so the first one and this isn't even a piece of advice from the author, but I think everyone who struggles with pitching or describing their book, which is something a lot of authors, you know, we we are great at writing, but not always great at public speaking, not always great at selling our work. Um, I think everyone should go listen to episode 68 with Arne Flores talking about the Firebird song, which was her debut middle grade, and just listen to the way that she pitches her novel. And she is a natural with speaking and the way she describes the book. It just lures you in and makes you want to go pick it up immediately. And I think that that is a skill that a lot of people are lacking. So not necessarily a tip or a piece of advice she gave, but I just was in awe at how she she sold that book. So I think it's a, a great example of how to do that really, really well. And then my very last tip, writing life tip. And I know you're going to remember this because you actually emailed after the episode went up and we're like, this is so brilliant. And I was like, this is so brilliant. Um, and it is Marie Lou, episode 86, uh, talking about Sky Hunter and Steel Striker. And in our bonus round, I asked her what her favorite writing snack was. And her answer was flaming hot Cheetos. And I thought you can't 
you can't, I mean, I love Cheetos as much as the next person, but I can't eat Cheetos and write because you get the cheese dust all over your keyboard. <laughs> what do you do? And her response, which blew my mind, is that she uses chopsticks to is eat that not the Cheetos. The most brilliant thing. So now I, is- I, I, I am now more capable of snacking while I write, thanks to Marie Lou. I just think this is the best Best. This is like it. This is the best tip on every episode of all time. <laughs> the number, the number one happy writer tip. We should, we should get the podcast editor to cut it out and put it at the very beginning and just be done. That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's right. Number one tip: chopsticks for snacks. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, awesome. That that is my list. That's well, this is the end of my list as well. But if you're cool with it, I was thinking of reading just a couple of things from our readers, uh, listeners survey. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd love to hear what they said. A really, a couple really nice comments um, that came in. So, oh, here's one. This is such a delightful little joy each week. I started listening only recently as I really only listen to audiobooks, but I'm loving the backlist and current episodes. I've discovered some great books and writing advice, plus motivation to keep going with my writing journey when I'm feeling down. I listen while grocery shopping and I now look forward to grocery time. I thought that was really nice. That's fantastic. I love that. And so there's three. So I'll read all three. Um, The second one is. I love the consistency of your podcast. I've been listening since the beginning. And with some of the podcasts I've listened to, the schedule is sporadic. I know every Monday that I will have a really cool interview in my inbox from you, full of great writing advice with authors I love or I'm unfamiliar with whose book I end up reading and enjoying. So also thank you because I really love this podcast and I'm glad I found it when I did. Aw, these are warming my heart. I thought they would. That's why I thought I would read them. And here's one that I thought was really great too. As a school librarian, I often suggest this podcast to my students, particularly those interested in writing. Thank you for providing this resource to them. Yay! That's the best! Yeah, I thought those were good. Oh, thank you, readers. Thank you, listeners. Listeners are the best. They are, I know. And thank you, Joanne, for joining me today. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for inviting me. It is always a pleasure. And we did have, not to toot my own horn, but we did have some people in the survey say that they liked listening to our conversations. Oh, good. I know. I always think it's a blast getting to chat with you. Um, It takes a lot less prep work on my end. So it's more just more relaxing in general, too. (laughs) Um, Always fun conversations. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I definitely hope you found this to be a fun little bit of reminiscing and nostalgia, celebrating 150 episodes. And I know I very much look forward to bringing you the next 150. Uh, Okay, if you've stuck with us all this time just wanting to hear about the query letter and first pages critique giveaway, we have reached that point of the episode. So you will find the form to fill out to enter to win one of our critiques uh, at the end of the 
episode show notes. So just scroll on down. What? They were there the whole time. That's so sneaky, Marissa and Joanne. Um, and go ahead and enter. And I don't uh, I don't think we've decided yet how many of these we're going to be giving away, but we will randomly select a, a handful of your submissions to uh, give you feedback on. So good luck with that. Anything to add to that, Joanne? I was just going to say that'll be in lieu of our regular April contest. So if you're thinking that we're going to be doing a regular contest, we are not. This is the only one, but it will be open for the entire month. And the winners, after they're announced, will have a good chunk of time before they um, the deadline to send stuff to us. So don't worry that you have to um, rush through getting your stuff ready. You'll, we'll give you lots of time. So awesome. So again, find that link at the end of the show notes. Uh, and of course you can find all of Joanne's books and all of my books and all of the, the books from the guests that we talked about today listed on our shop at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. Next week, episode 151, I will be chatting with Jenna Voris about her debut sci-fi adventure, Made of Stars. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier. Thank you.